Good morning. It's so good to be together. I love that. They all believed in sharing. The guy could have had more than one, but he got one to take away. Really good to be together today and really good to be exploring this particular topic. Great to have the kids back. Great to have fencing built down in Gippsland. Great to have Hampers Bay. Great to have Maddie here and, uh, and Beck. And good to have you here joining with us as well. Over the past month, we've been talking about this theme, the greatest love. Why? Because if you haven't noticed, it seems as though our world is in need of a lot of love right now. And how easy love can actually grow cold. How easy it is for anger to boil over, to be consumed with anger or overwhelmed with fear. And yet the Bible says perfect love drives out all fear. I think that means that when someone encounters the loving, living God, that there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Death has been defeated. You know who you are through his eyes. And that at the end of the day, his arms have enfolded you, come what may. And it kind of dispels fear. You live with a different set of parameters. So over the past month, we've been talking about this profound theme called love. Three weeks ago, we talked about the nature of love. Ellie explained that love is patient, love is kind, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And then two weeks ago, we unpacked the story of Jose, the idea that, that God feels this jealous kind of love towards his people. He's this covenant faithfulness kind of love he has towards his people is described in terms of being like a jilted lover. And as they chase after every other god and goddess, that he felt this kind of anger and this, this sense of frustration and this jealous kind of love for his people. That's, he wanted an exclusive love with them. And then last week we encountered the outrageous love of God, the kind of love that would be like a parent that's waiting for a child to return home, that they've been lost and to them. Maybe they've even felt they've been dead to them, but then they've turned and they've remembered their father and they return home and it's described as a father embracing his son and he runs to him, outrageously embraces him before the words of sorry have even got off his lips or even a half-hearted measure of of sorry, he embraces him and welcomes him home and lavishes him with this extraordinary love. And that's what God is like. And so today, to finish off our theme of the greatest love, I want to talk to you about what love might look like when it's actually enfleshed. The Bible says this, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then it goes on and says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only, uh, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is, is the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. I suppose that's what's trying to say is that if you want to have a really good understanding of what God is like and what love is like, then have a look like what it is when it becomes enfleshed, when it takes on skin. When it becomes human. That's what I want to talk about today. As we conclude and wrap up this series. What would it be like for you to have a fresh encounter. With love enfleshed. With Jesus himself. The story goes Mark says this. He says as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Jesus said come and follow me. 
And I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. The story continues on. It says he goes and meets another set of brothers, James and John, and he issues them the same call. And he says, come and follow me. And it says immediately they, they drop their nets and they follow him. You know, sometimes we can overcomplicate Christianity. Christianity at its heart is not about pointing out the faults of other people, but it's inviting people to have a living encounter with God in flesh, with love in flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ and he is a person. And that's what I hope for us today, more than anything else, as we finish off this greatest love series, is that a fresh encounter, a call upon your life to follow Jesus. You see, right now our community is going through a, a great upheaval. Many people are looking at their own parameters and evaluating their lives and they're trying to determine what are the things that I'll do differently now in a post-COVID perhaps season. And they're evaluating. And it'd be so easy to just, as we're walk, working out the things that we want to stop doing and the things that we want to start doing, to actually put Jesus on the side. And this morning, I don't particularly want to know if you've heard about Jesus or if you even you believe in Jesus. The Bible says that the demons believe and they shudder. But I want to ask you the question, have you decided to follow Jesus? And if you are following Jesus, are you being faithful to that call? Because what I've discovered is that, that when you have an encounter with Jesus, it's as though when love calls, it bids you to follow. Many years ago when I was uh, just a seven-year-old child, I remember lying awake at night time and I had my own existential crisis. I was concerned about what would happen to me if I died. And I remember one of my parents coming into the room and sitting with me and talking to me about there's this God who loves and he's heaven that's secure and if you'd invite Jesus into your life, that you could have a confidence in him. And I remember as a seven-year-old, just in a very childlike way, reaching out to God and inviting Jesus to come into my life. That was easy. That was kind of the response to the fear idea. But 13 years later, when I was 20, I had an entirely different conversation with God, and it had got a whole lot more complicated. Because now, as my life was starting to open up, I was finishing up university, I was met with another set of questions. Who would I follow? And who was the boss of my life? What did I believe in? Who did I want to trust? What course was I going to set the direction of my life? And that was an entirely different conversation. It felt like for me it was a, a tug of war going on inside of me. Uh, there was part of Troy saying, Troy wants to follow Troy. And there was another part saying, well, maybe Troy wants to actually follow Jesus. And there was just this wrestle that just felt like a tug of war. And after some time of considering and feeling the wrestles and some of the conversations that Maddie had were similar to mine... I decided to surrender my life to Jesus and to follow him. You see, when love calls, it bids you follow. So this morning, I don't particularly want to ask you, have you heard about Jesus? Or if you have not only just heard about Jesus, but perhaps if you've even decided to follow Jesus, but are you being faithful to him? Because one call, when, one, when love calls, it bids you follow. So in the time we have available today, I want to invite you to imagine what it would have been like to have stood before Jesus 
and experience that love enfleshed. Because I believe that the answer to that call to follow Jesus or to be faithful to his call is that when you and I have a fresh encounter with a person whose name is Jesus, love enfleshed. And so I would invite you to imagine with me that you would be with me and encounter Jesus through three interactions that he had. The first one, as we saw, I love it when we captured on real film, it seems so much more, as a friend of mine, more believable when it's on film, is that he had an encounter with a leper, a person with a virulent skin disease. And this leper must have heard through some friends, or I don't know how those leper communities worked, but he must have heard that there was a person called Jesus, and he was like a prophet, and he was healing people. And so the story goes, is that, and Mark tells it, that he hears that Jesus is passing by and passing through, and so he runs up and he calls out to Jesus, perhaps from the top of his voice, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, the way it would have worked in that day and age is that there was a very clear delineation between what was clean and unclean. And if a person had a skin disease like the one that you just saw a few moments ago, it was a reminder to the whole community that humans are mortal that they suffered decay and disease. And as a result of that, you will be excluded, not only because of the contagion from the community around about you, but you were no longer able to go into the, the house of God, into the temple where he dwelt, simply because mortals cannot coexist with the immortal. That any skin disease, a reminder of your ritual uncleanliness or your mortality, can't mix with an immortal holy God. And so he renders him sort of isolated from God, isolated from his community until that disease is healed. Well, the way in which it would have worked in that culture is that he would have had to have called out and stood a distant and afar and called out unclean, unclean, even though it didn't quite show the extent of it there. And people would have taken, if you like, a, a side passage around the person. But he calls out to Jesus with just the hint, if you like, of faith and desire to be with him. And so Jesus responds with these words as he calls out. He says, I am willing, he said, be cleansed. And the outrageousness of what's going on just here is that Jesus not only does it from afar, is that he actually walks up to the man and touches him. And this is supposed to be the part where the uncleanliness now transfers itself onto another human being. But not so with Jesus. Because as he stands before Jesus, pure love, pure truth, pure power. It's not as though that contagion actually spreads to him, but it actually reverses and goes the other way. And if you like, the power of God and his kingdom in breaking into this world is actually received into the body of that man and the, the skin disease is healed. And the man looking at himself, he can actually see that there's something that's transpired. He's no longer unclean, he's actually been made clean. So through all the joy and the excitement of that moment, Jesus goes on and he issues him one instruction. He says, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. It seems to be clear enough instruction. But this is what happens. He said, instead, the man went out 
and began to talk freely, spreading the news about Jesus to everyone. See, in that moment when Jesus issues him an instruction, he wants him to go to the temple, the place in which he could actually be reunited with God and that he could actually offer the sacrifices that are required to, to symbolize the cleansing that he's received. And in that moment, as a signal to the priest, they're supposed to actually flip through their scriptures and realize, when is the last time that we've actually had to offer this kind of sacrifice? And so that's what he's asked to do as a testimony to them that God's kingdom is in breaking in here and now. But tragically, the story goes on and it says, instead, the man went out and began to tell everyone. So much so that wherever Jesus went now, people flooded to him as though he was like a mobile hospital. And he found he couldn't even eat or sleep because want of people coming to him profoundly. The tragedy of this moment is that when this man had encountered the love of Jesus and the power of him breaking into his life, in the one moment where you would have thought he would have been faithful to that call, we realize that in some extent that it's about his experience and his encounter. And so instead he does the opposite of what Jesus asks him. He goes and tells everyone. You see, when love calls, it bids you follow. Jesus washes us clean and calls us to follow. The second encounter of love in flesh, we're transported by John, John chapter 4, to a well. And it's called Jacob's Well, and it's in a place known as Samaria. Jesus, we're told, is heading back from Jerusalem to Galilee. And he has every right to head down the eastern side, which would have been the Jordan River, which would have, if you like, given them safe passage around Samaria up back into Galilee. Because those who are aware that Samaria was a hostile place for Jewish people, Jewish people considered the Samaritans to be half-bloods. And so there was this caustic relationship and nature between them. Instead of going around the safe route, though, John describes Jesus. He goes, he does a beeline straight for the middle of Samaria, where we find him sitting at a well. It's Jacob's well, where centuries before Jacob had looked up and seen a shepherdess by the name of Rachel. And their eyes had locked together, and it was as though the, the birds sang more cheerfully and the sun stood still, and there was this romantic pause and Pretty much from there, the whole thing went downhill. But apart from that, it was a momentous occasion. And we find Jesus sitting in that well, and you suspect that it's just this setup. He's waiting to have an encounter, an appointment with someone that the disciples have no idea about. And the story goes on, and it goes like this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Well... The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then this is where the story kind of takes an obtuse, awkward kind of turn. And it says this, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him. And he would have given you living water. Well... The woman hearing about this, this living water and not having to return to the well, she's just thinking this, this sounds terrific. So she asks this, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and to come here every day to draw water. And then Jesus 
turns the conversation in that moment. And he says, actually, the water I want to give you is living water. It will sustain you for the rest of your life. You don't quite understand it, but it comes from me. The woman, as she's caught up in this conversation with Jesus, with love and flesh standing before her, she says, tell me more about this. And he says, well, why don't you go and get your husband? And in that very moment, Jesus presses his finger on a painful part of her life. Because her life is, is not straightforward. It is complicated. And she responds to Jesus and says, actually, I don't have a husband. And Jesus replies, I know, you've told me the truth. The fact of the matter is, is that you've had five husbands. And the one you're with right now isn't your husband. Ouch. It's just in that kind of moment... If someone had appeared into my life and said some unwelcome truths about who I am and maybe the things that I'd got caught up with, I reckon that would have been the moment that the shutters would have gone up. That I would have done a runner and a beeline. But what was it about Jesus that caused her to actually stay there and interact with him? What was it that she felt? What is the experience of love that she had or this light or this power emanating from him? Well, she kind of deflects it a little bit. She says, you Jewish people, you worship God in, in your Jerusalem, but we worship God here on the mountain. But when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus says, that person is the one who is standing here in front of you right now. Just overwhelmed with those words, she runs off. To tell people in a village. Meanwhile, it says the disciples return. And they've been out hunting for food. And so they come up to Jesus and, and they don't even bother to ask him, well, why were you even talking to that woman? They say, here, have some food. And Jesus, he, just in his obtuse kind of way as he does, he says, uh, you ha I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they all turn to one another and they say, what, did someone, did someone give him food? He goes, don't you get it? He said, I'm telling you this, that the fields are white for harvest. If you just lift up your gaze and look. There's a research person by the name of McCrindle, Mark McCrindle. And each year he seems to put out some, some research to do with the spiritual pulse of Australia. Last week I was looking at some of his statistics that he's been gathering data about the spiritual pulse during COVID time. And I was... Really interested to hear what he actually said about what the spiritual pulse is of our nation. You might be surprised. He said this, during COVID time, there have been 40% uh, of the respondents that we asked said that they've been thinking more about the meaning of life. He said, more so, there's been 47% of people that have been thinking more about, than you imagine this to be right, their mortality, their death. He said, but a third of people have actually been thinking more about God. And the kicker for me was this, is that out of those three categories, the sum total of it, that it was actually the 18 to 26s, the Gen Zs, which is just about a year or two out of my age group, said that they were the, the lion's share of the ones who were actually interested in exploring and thinking about those questions. 
And the other kicker for me was this. They said out of all of the people that had actually been um, asked, that two-thirds said that if someone invited me to connect with the church online or in person, I would likely respond. But the thing for me that was even more interesting is that, that a third of those people asked said that they were extremely likely to want to come and to hear about the things that churches talk about. Wow. So the woman returns and she says this to Jesus as she introduces her ex-husbands, we imagine, and the village to him. They conclude this. We no longer just believe because of what you said, the village people say to the woman. Now we have heard this for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. You see, this morning I don't want to ask you if you have heard about Jesus or if you even believe in Jesus. There's, it says that the demons even have heard about Jesus and they shudder. I want to ask you, have you chosen to follow Jesus? And if you have... Are you being faithful to that call? Because when love calls, it bids you to follow. What would have it been like to have stood before love enfleshed? The third encounter we have is recorded also by Mark. And it's an encounter that Jesus has with a landowner. It goes on and says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him that, and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher asked, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, it's in that moment, Jesus stood back and this man was also having his own existential crisis. He was really asking, God, when I die, what happens to me? And how do I know that I'm actually going to be in the life of the age to come when God establishes his kingdom? How can I have a sense of assurance or confidence that I'm going to be there with him? And that I can have that mapped out and sorted out. Well, Jesus replies to him, well, okay, you want to know what you need to do? Uh, obey the commands. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Honor your mother and father. Well, with his hand on his heart, this landowner, this Jewish man, he says to Jesus, I have tried to do those things all of my life since I was a young boy. I've tried to be faithful to them, and I believe I have been. And then there's this striking comment that Mark records about Jesus' next posture and turn to the man. And he says this. He says that in that moment, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He saw all of the man for who he was. His sincere desire to, to want to be a good covenant-keeping follower of God. You get this sense that Jesus knows what's coming next. So he looked at him with love. And he said these next words. They're going to just radically change the response that the man has. He says, one thing you lack. I want you to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. He said, at this very moment, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
And then Jesus calls out and he says how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are just flabbergasted and they say, what do you mean? He says, you don't understand. If you have wrapped up your entire life and your identity with the accumulation of wealth and power to make you secure in life, no wonder it's going to be so hard to actually turn in the face of a call to follow Jesus and say, I'll follow you. When all of those things have so entangled themselves into your heart and mind and soul, so they're the actual things that actually define you. What does it mean to respond to Jesus? I know some of you listening here will be going, well, what, do I have to give up everything? Well, let's just take one step back. Jesus says to him, do you want to know how you can have eternal life? He says, follow me. And it just so happens that what might prevent you from following me right now on the road is that you're probably going to have to say goodbye to all the things that you've actually been familiar with and actually just follow with me on the way. Come. It's here. Come with me now. This is the man. And, and, and Jesus says to him, and you will know that you will have riches in heaven that you have no idea about, but now if you want to, come and follow me. This is the man is so... Caught up, his roots planted so deep into all those things that define him that he can't give up the security that those things offered and he walks away sad. And then Jesus says how hard it is because he just knows it to be true to place your security in him and follow See, when love calls, it bids you come. When love calls, it bids you come. Come and follow. What would have it been like to have stood in front of love enfleshed and felt that light and that power emanating from him? The kind of love that takes us where we are, but doesn't leave us there, that calls us higher and bids us come. Jesus said these words. He said, I tell you this, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and come and follow me. What does it actually profit someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very life? What can someone give in exchange for their life? And Jesus said, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, so will I be ashamed of them when my father comes with his holy angels and, and, and establishes his kingdom here on earth. But if you want to know how you can have an assurance, he says, come. Place your trust in my hands and follow me. And then do in like. I wonder this morning what Jesus might be saying to you. I wonder if you're here and you've heard the words of Jesus and you have never responded to him and says, I want to respond to that living, that love, that life. Then today, why don't you respond to him? And in turn say, Jesus, come into my life. Maybe you're here and you've responded to that call. And, but it's so easy for you in the stakes of reassessing your life right now to put Jesus on the side would be so easy, but you're hearing him call you afresh and again, come and be faithful to me. And you're wondering, how do I do that? 
Well, I don't think it's got to be to do with working harder, digging deeper, sweeping things under the carpet, or pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. I think it comes when you kneel before Jesus. You admit to him that you too are mortal and are unclean. That you too have complicated things in life that things that you're ashamed of that you feel like you've fumbled and or maybe come to him with your own sense of self-determination that you've got it all together and fall at his feet again and fall in love with him and surrender your life to him and receive him and live for him obey him and thank him Because the Christian life is more than just pointing out your faults. It begins with the fresh encounter with love enfleshed, the living God, whose name is Jesus. I'll finish with this. The Bible says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one's friends. This morning, if you are hearing God's call, or whenever you're listening, I wonder if you might respond to him now. The call to follow Jesus. Right where you are. I wonder if you might imagine yourself falling before him. Feeling his love and his welcome and his arms open wide. And that you might invite him in and choose to follow. If that's you, why don't you pray with me right now? And surrender your life to him. Father God, here in this place, I just want to bend my knees before your son Jesus. I come mortal. I come with all of my complications. I come with my own will and self-determination. And I just ask that you might come into my life. Thank you that you lived for me and you died for me and you rose to new life. And now I ask that you might pour that life into me. I choose to follow you. Would you wash me clean? Would you welcome me home? I thank you that you have. And would you now fill me with your spirit? I pray in Jesus' name. I wonder if you've responded to the call to follow Jesus. But the challenge for you is to being faithful. The Bible says these words, Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. And I wonder if the words to you, getting caught up in all of the, the details and the challenges and the complications of life in these last months, the issued call to you is to come. And be faithful, not just in words, but in deeds. I wonder if you're here and you're listening right now and that you've been a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been baptized. I'm going to challenge you right here Then coming to the new year. Would you decide to be baptized and to make a public confession of him? And if you're here and you need to renew and refresh that life with him, then I'm just going to invite you as you hear this song, this next song, that you might pause before him, that you might thank him, and that you might welcome him afresh into your life.
Why don't you do that this morning? Have a listen to this now.